0: It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Dennis Dodd. He's a national college football writer for CBSSports.com. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Dennis, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing all right. We've got many questions out here, and we're curious what you think. And the first one, obviously, is BYU is 5-0, but given the fact that they had to completely redo their schedule and they're not playing any Power Fives, how do you figure out how good they are and where they belong in the bigger college football picture? How do you do that, I Dennis? Think,
1: yeah, I think it's tough just because they they aren't going to play a Power Five. Um, I think they deserve Tom Homo deserves a lot of credit for getting that schedule together, obviously. Um, but you know, when it when it comes down to it, they're going to be compared to you know an American champion, whoever that is right now, um, you know, SMU's 5-0 and uh, in, in in the same situation where they may not play a power five as well. But it's it's just going to be tough. I think the takeaway for now it should just be that, you know, the BYU is playing this well. I think this is a great maybe bridge season to greater things next year. Um, and Zach Wilson, obviously, is a Heisman candidate. Being a BYU Corvette gives you a leg up any so I know the next question is: really to be
2: considered? And absolutely, it'll be considered. So BYU has gotten this incredible run this year, and they played well, and they deserved it, and all this stuff. I'm wondering, as far as what you, if Tom Homo would call you, and they value uh, national media guys' opinions, and you're, you know, I mean, you're one of the stalwart guys out there. Everybody knows who you are. And so he says, "What do you think we should do as far as our scheduling philosophy? Because they've been going like next year, they got seven – Power 5 teams, and then they've got, uh, I think, South Florida, Boise, and then they always play Utah State. So that's a pretty good schedule. And in the past, they come out of September with one, maybe two, or three losses, mm-hmm. and then the bowl game that they've already contracted with ESPN, it's just a matter of if you get six wins and you play in it. So now here, they're 5-0. and They've taken on a little bit of the Boise schedule. You know, don't, because of their conference, they're not killing themselves in conference and maybe play one or two big games, and then you have an opportunity for a New Year's Day six, which I think is probably the most realistic situation for BYU. So what would you be your counsel if Tom would do it? He probably won't, obviously. As But as far as the BYU scheduling
1: philosophy? No, that's the first thing. Tom Homo's not calling me. Tom, <laughs> Tom Homo's another pay grade. And I love Tom. I've known him for years. Um, you know, I, I go back to a couple of philosophies. Those that of Bobby Bowden in the 70s at Florida State, and Bill McCartney when he started at CU at Colorado in, the, in 84, I want to say. Um, and he plays anywhere, anytime. Now, the downside of that is, yeah, you may not get to a bowl. The upside is you can't get to where you want to be until you play these teams and then beat them and, and know what the standard is to beat them. So, I mean, you know, the downside of the, the, uh, the schedule now, we just talked about that. You know, it, it's COVID. I know it's not intentional, but it, it is what it is. And that's going to, you know, downgrade BYU's consideration for New Year's Six, maybe. I don't know. Uh, maybe they're the last, uh, last team standing in that respect. But uh, you've got you've got to try to play those teams. And, you know, being an independent is different. But, I, again, I would go back to what Bobby Bowden did. Is, uh, I, I had to research some stuff for him when he, was, when he had COVID, and it looked like, you know, things weren't looking very good. And I was reminded what they did. In 1981, they played, and I'm not saying BYU should do this. It's not on the tip of my tongue. They played at Notre Dame, at Pittsburgh, at Ohio State. There were two more I can't remember that would boggle your mind. And they went six and five. Now, considering what they did after that, I don't think that's a bad result. I mean, I, I think that turned the program to like, hey, we can play with these teams and beat them. Do you want to play those five on the road every year? Absolutely not. Maybe not in any given year. But I think it's something to think about. I just don't know what the right balance is. I, I, I can't tell you that.
0: Dennis Dodd, joining us, national college football writer for CBS dot com. Uh, obviously, they have the wins over Houston and Navy. Houston's coming off a four and eight season. Is that a really good win? Is Houston going to end up being uh, top third of the American Conference this year, or was that just another team that has a name and has had a good decade, but is having a bad year and a half? Yeah,
1: I, I, I'm not sure about Houston yet. Um, under Dana Hoverson. you know, he ran off Derek King. Where if they had, if they just had him, they'd be in the conversation. I mean, I think we all know how good he is. And Clayton Toon is, fine, is a fine quarterback, but he's not Derek King, um, and he's making a difference. Uh, King at it, at Miami. So I, I, you know, I really question what he did last year, trying to stockpile players, and, and you know, after they started one and three, it it's sent a terrible message to that team. Um, that I oh, would just start over, you know. We just, punt this season to start over next year. But there's a lot of talent at Houston. There has been since they got good under Kevin Sumlin. That was years ago. Um so they're always gonna have speed. they're always gonna have athletes. Their defense doesn't look very good at all. So I, I think that's a that's probably a really, really good matchup for BYU.
2: With the Pac-12 not playing yet, as far as me personally, normally I'm traveling with the Utes and I'm busy on Saturdays mm-hmm. and watching Pac-12 football, but my Saturdays have been open big time, so I've had an opportunity to watch some other teams probably a little bit more than I do at this point in the season, and I only have one word
1: for Clemson, and that is simply,
2: wow. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I, I tweeted something like that Saturday. It's like, you know, there's... They're, they're just the best team. They may get beat at some point, but they've got everything. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is the top of his game, defenders. Travis ATN very quietly is going to become the ACC career-leading rusher on Saturday, or the next time they play. I haven't even checked. Um, and they've got recruiting. They've got the best the – the number one recruit in the country Plays behind Trevor Lawrence, DJ Ugalele from the West Coast in Southern California. So they got everything. Um, you know, they pencil them into the playoffs. If they lose the game, if they if they don't win the ACC championship, that team should be in the playoff. Um, and they've got it at the height of their at the height of their college right now. So it's tremendous.
0: Dennis Dodd, national college football writer for CBS joining us. You say they're the best team. They're certainly the best team in the ACC. For all of us who watched Alabama destroy Georgia, do you think they're better than Bama?
1: I absolutely do. Um, they're more, now look, in a one game situation, you know, it's going to go with the way it's going to go. But if you just look at the two teams, Clemson's loaded offense, defense, special teams. Right now, Alabama is that quarterback and those three receivers because the defense that was so much in question last year and was the worst for Nick Saban since his first year in 2007, it, it's proved to be susceptible. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's a different standard now. Uh, defensively for teams everywhere. Uh it used to be hey the, the leading team in the country gave up 10 points a game. Now, if you give up 24, you're a really you're an elite defensive team. And that's basically what they did against Georgia. They they adjusted at halftime. They shut down um Stetson Bennett and made plays themselves and they, and they they intercepted him three times and the defense came through. But Clemson's a better team. Um you know, but, but I would think it matters. We've entered this age very quickly where if you can outscore somebody, you can win a national championship. It happened last year with LSU. They had the third worst defense of a national champion in history. That goes back to 1936, the beginning of the wire service bowl. They gave up almost 22 points a game. And I think you saw it at the end of the year. They were just, you know, that, that was one of the biggest, best, best offensive machines ever in college football. And it really didn't matter what the other team did because they were so elite. So, yeah, I think I think Clemson's better at that. I might even you know, venture to say they're head and shoulders above everybody else right now.
2: So uh, last week, I think it was probably maybe the week before, the Pac-12 came out with its uh, media poll, and uh, it is what it is, as they say. Uh, do you have any objections with it?
1: Uh, refresh me, because I, I probably missed that one. Oregon uh, in the North.
2: Yeah, Oregon and SC. Uh, I think they had ASU yeah. second, Utah third, and
1: so forth. Yeah, no. No, I mean, that's that's what I would have picked. Um, look, Oregon, I, I feel for Mario Cristobal, he's had five opt-outs. Yeah. And, and pretty significant guys. Penny Sewell, uh, one of those guys in the defensive secondary. I mean, really, start, obviously, starting guys. And you know, can can they win the North in the in the Pac-12 without those guys? I think they can, but I think it really uh, cuts into their playoff chances. Which the Big 12, I'm sorry, the Pac-12 is going to have a problem with starting so late and trying to get seven games in the fewest of any conference at that point of any Power Five conference. Uh, And then USC, I just talked to Keaton Slovis this morning. He he has those concerns too that I just mentioned. You know, playing seven games without being interrupted by COVID. But I, I, I'd like, I'd like USC since last year when they got things settled down. And I know they had a bad, bad bowl game. That was a bad bowl game. But they seem to be settled down now. The recruiting's better. Um, this is going to be for, for better or worse, a Mulligan year for Clay Helton. They're not going to fire him this year. I don't think you can when you only play seven games. So, no, I, I didn't have a problem with it.
0: Has the Big 12 opened up a spot for somebody, whether it's a 7-0 and Pac-12 team, if someone gets to 7-0, and or for a runner-up in another league? Do you buy Oklahoma State going undefeated? One loss no. Iowa State, one loss K-State. They have terrible losses, They lost to Sunbelt teams at home.
1: Yeah, no, the uh, The Big 12 has provided an opening for now because their two best franchises are 2-2, two and two, Texas and Oklahoma. And usually you get a favorite to come out of that Red River game, and obviously that was the worst possible result for the Big 12 that Oklahoma would win. And so you're counting on an Oklahoma State who never follows through, uh, even when they've started like this in the past. Uh, an Iowa State that you know, uh, I love Matt Campbell, but I don't see him going from seven and six in a 25 and 24 career coach to a to a Big 12 championship. Hey, I might be wrong. Um, you know, Kansas State's right in there. Uh, at three and zero as well. I think that's a great, great story with Chris Klein 3-1 and three and one and three and zero in the league. But I, I, I just don't see it but, uh, in that case they're playing a true freshman at quarterback now because of injury. So yeah, that may have provided a flop for what you mentioned, a second team from another league or a pac twelve spot. You're right.
2: Getting back to Slovis, I think he's the best pure passer in the Pac twelve. Are you doing a piece on him?
1: You know what? I was asking him about the letter that the USC players right. wrote, yeah. which, to me, inexplicably got this league going When to the point that it, if it wasn't written, the Pac-12 may not have played. I guess really? they would have and followed the Big Ten. But it amazes me that a letter from players basically got Governor Newsom of California and Larry Scott to meet in person. I mean, that boggles my mind because it came, I think, three weeks after the bid, the game changing announcement that the Pac 12 is going to test David. And then it was cricket. Yeah. And then it was a letter. And then they got on the field. I mean, that's, it shows the power of the student athlete.
0: So, how much do you think the power of the student athlete is going to lead to some of the demands? The whole Players United thing kind of faded away, but there's you know it's just smoke you can't prove anything but 3 of the 4 leagues that shut it down and then restarted were facing the players united and that kind of went away after they shut down
1: yeah no i, I on the player on the we are united thing specifically i didn't give that much credence because okay we want to play no kidding you want to play the parents want to play but guess what in in a worldwide pandemic i'm sorry you didn't get you don't get much of a say You've got to listen to the officials. You've got to listen to science. And, frankly, these schools are scared of um, liability concerns, unbelievably. Do they have those? So, yeah, I think that's a given that players wanted to play. Why would you think they wouldn't want to play except for those who opted it out for very good reasons? That being said, uh, this is going to get a lot hairier and a lot more complicated with NIL. Because it's coming, there's no doubt now. There's legislation that's been developed for the January NCA convention, and you're literally, I think, and I said this for a while, literally going to have coaches and ADs sitting across the table from marketing agents asking the question, "Why doesn't my guy get more playing time because of the social media following?" And and that and this is what they've bought into. This is what the NCA has left for us by keeping their head in the sand all these years. And, I, and I'm in I'm in I'm in support of NIL. I think it's a long time coming, and these kids should get this opportunity. But look now what's coming. In the middle of COVID, in the middle of We Are United, and unprecedented student empowerment, these players are going to have even more control, and it's going to be fascinating to see what that looks like. So
2: i got a theory, Dennis, that I want to run by you. A place like Salt Lake, you know it. We go nuts on college football. We don't have the NFL, and we got the jazz. And we just go berserk with BYU, Utah, Utah State, right? I've had Pac-12 people tell me, Pac-12 administrators, we love having Utah in the conference because they get so much run here locally. And one of the things that I think has impacted both BYU in Utah, is that a lot of studs leave the state to go to Oregon. You already mentioned Sewell. Well, yeah. he went to high school down there in St. George. It's in the state. So my thought is, with this NLI thing, the where they can get money, as you say, or NIL, whatever it's called, that it could help a team like Utah because particularly you grew up here. We cover high school football. They broadcast high school football every week, multiple games on the local television. And so if you're a local kid, you could start building your brand literally at 15. And if you stay local, and go to Utah, BYU, whatever it might be, that that brand gets bigger. So financially, it might be in your benefit to stay local rather than go to Oregon or Stanford or SC or what have you because you'll have started your brand literally from the time you were 15 years old. So financially, it might be in your best interest and it could help the locals keep kids within state. You buying that theory? It can, but it's
1: going to be regulated. So whatever they get... Coming out of high school or whatever they're told they can get, it's going to be regulated in some way. It's going to be a fair market value. In other words, you know, to to the point, you know, USC won't be able to quote unquote steal a kid from Utah because they can offer more. It's kind of like, um, you know, uh, cost of attendance. USC is going to get the kid to the USC, and that's what I had said is the ultimate upshot of NIL. Alabama is still going to get the best players. Toledo's not and that's not going to change the pecking order, the the DNA, the genetics of college football. Uh, You look at a kid like Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, the quarterback, if he was allowed to get NIL money this year, and I've already written about it, he could earn, because of his following, $838,000 a year. I don't have a problem with that. You know, he he very carefully crafted his, his social following. Okay, now... Does that mean, you know, I, I think he's still going to Oklahoma uh as opposed to let's say Utah because of that. Because he's been recruited and he he can earn that money in a vacuum that somebody's not earning you know, offering him more at Utah. Does that make sense? Because I, I think it's you know, I, I I think they're gonna get more money, but I think it's gonna be regulated enough where the boosters and recruiting can't overpay. That will still be under the table, don't get me wrong.
0: Dennis, we appreciate you coming on and giving us a little bit of time and talking a little college football this morning, talking about the, uh, the Pac-12 and BYU and uh, NIL money. Thanks for coming on. All
1: right, guys. Thanks so much.